Hello, welcome to the Gentle Rebel podcast. Here we're all about playing with ways to navigate life's harsher edges with a spirit of compassionate creativity. I'm Andy Mortimer, sound artist, songwriter and slow coach. And I love helping highly sensitive people understand and engage with their natural rhythms and processes using creativity and play so they can make sustainable progress on meaningful pursuits without getting overwhelmed, shutting down or burning out. I hope you're well. In this week's episode, we are going to talk about the idea of taking up space. So this is a topic that came up recently in a Haven conversation and one that we kind of broadened out a bit in a forum discussion uh, afterwards. And I was really uh, interested to hear how other people experience this and whether or not it's a a common fear, a common thought, a common challenge, something that we uh, often feel bad about, you know, taking up space in the world. It was um, inspired by an exercise that Tula led at the start of our Photo Yoga for the Mind uh, course this year, uh, where we gave a name and a face to our inner critic. So we spent some time thinking about the voice of our inner critic, you know, the words it might use, uh, and the impact that it has on the story that we tell ourselves um, about who we are, uh, kind of generally, and in the kind of day-to-day moments uh, that we encounter all the time. Then as we embodied the presence of that voice, we took a selfie, and those who wanted to were able to share it in the group. So we created this this gallery of inner critics, which is uh, highly entertaining and, and just really nice to, to kind of see those parts of other people and hear what uh, what the name that is given to them and, you know, the sorts of uh, characteristics um, that they have. You know, I spent most of the time where we were doing the uh, photo prompt uh, trimming my beard so that I was left with um, more or less a handlebar moustache. Kind of, um, yeah, as much as <laughs> I could create one because, yeah, my inner critic is called Rod and um, and has a moustache and tells me to play small, to keep quiet uh, and to not draw too much attention to myself. Uh, ultimately, I guess I realised it's the voice within me that says, don't take up more space than you should. And it was very interesting to kind of think about this. It's something that I think I've been aware of for a while, but uh, it was the first time I properly confronted, you know, uh, this voice and seen its face. Like give, doing this prompt was like a really helpful way to to actually embody that, to, to notice uh, the specific um, particularities, the characteristics of it, uh, rather than it just being this sort of uh, vague sense, this this kind of looming presence, this spirit within me. Um, and during the days that uh, followed that session, <laughs> I, I decided to embark on an experiment. So rather than trimming the moustache down um, and kind of keeping it in at the same length as the rest of my facial hair, I shaved the rest of my beard off um, more or less completely and just left the moustache. So it was there. It was a lot more prominent than it was in the in the picture of my inner critic. Um, and I wanted to see how I could cope with uh, going out into the world with a moustache. There's something about a moustache. You're probably thinking, like, What's, what are you talking about? Um, something about a moustache that because it's a choice, it's a decision, isn't it? It's an intentional decision that you've made. You've got a razor in your hand and a mirror in front of your face. Um, and I think it was that feeling that really um, unnerved me, unsettled me as I thought about, you know, walking around the world with a moustache. Uh, you know, a, a beard is a, it's a lack of action, isn't it? It grows because you, you, don't, you don't shave, you don't do anything, you don't have to carve it. It's, it's just what happens um, 
it's not a decision or a choice. It's it's kind of what happens when hair is left to its own devices. But going out with a moustache is a statement. You're saying, yeah, I yeah, had my, held my razor. I looked in the mirror and decided that this is how I wanted to look and spent some time making that happen. Um, so strangely, I wanted to play with the discomfort. Uh, so I decided, OK, I'm going to keep this until I no longer feel the need to shave it off <laughs> and to justify it. I'm going to leave it there until I forget that it's there. Um, and then at that point, I can get rid of it. To be fair, I, I found it quite funny. It, would, it made me laugh every time I looked in the mirror. Um, when I went to the bathroom, it's like, yeah, there it is. Uh, but it did take a while before I was able to then kind of go out and be thinking, yeah, I'm not, I'm not bothered about it. There's something about being around strangers that actually can make that thing, the kind of thing really uncomfortable. Um, and I think maybe I've played small for a while when it comes to my appearance. Uh, I'm not sure when it happened. Um, maybe to some degree it was, well, it definitely was like a utilitarian practical thing. It's like easier to wear simple clothes every day where you'd have to sort of make decisions about them. Uh, but it dawned on me that part of that, or at least the the kind of thought of going against that or, or you know, wearing a moustache, wearing something a bit different to uh, what I'm used to, made me kind of uncomfortable because there is that voice that says, don't take up space. Uh, don't draw attention to yourself. Um, you've got this thing that it, like it feels like it's drawing a lot of attention even though a lot of that attention is just that self-consciousness that's in my mind um and it's ironic isn't it that the mustache of that voice of that inner critic was the cause of the voice to get louder uh, don't go out looking like me <laughs> shouts rod uh, do as i say don't do as i do and i think that is uh, often the case uh, for the inner critic um and in the end, it felt very freeing. It reminded me of, of I, th- I think, how I used to dress when I was younger. I used to kind of play with my appearance quite a lot to to the degree of, uh, you know, finding things funny and going out and experimenting and just being like, yeah, this, like, I don't care here. Um, I'd let my hair be big. I'd wear a cravat and a waistcoat. And kind of part of it was like, I like the look, but I also kind of like the looks that people give me when they're like, that's not a usual thing. Um, to wear and so uh, yeah I I kind of enjoyed that feeling weirdly um, but I don't anymore Uh, and maybe that's just being young and we lose that confidence of youth I guess as you get older you stop caring about things that that really bothered you back then but then you start caring um, or care more about things that really aren't important the things that actually were were like water off a duck's back perhaps more so uh, when we were younger Um, Different things for different people, I would imagine. And I guess this might mean that we end up shrinking ourselves and making our creative spirit smaller than it used to be. Maybe losing our playful confidence and conforming to type, to what is expected of us. Um, or maybe we've never really had proper access to that playful uh, confidence that, that sits within us for various reasons. Um, so this kind of stimulated some interesting thoughts and conversations about high sensitivity and taking up space. And uh, I'd love to share a few of the things that came up through those um, discussions uh, in this episode. We often hear the phrase, don't wait for permission, don't we? From people talking about taking up space in the world. Might be in reference to sharing your creativity or uh, going after a dream or just simply allowing yourself to have a desire in the first place. And while I think it's a really 
key reminder that you know you can't wait for no one's going to give you permission to do the thing that you want to do it's really also not very easy especially if we are culturally conditioned to wait for our turn um, to wait in line you know as a as a brit we we love queuing here <laughs> in britain it's a it's kind of like there's a it's it feels morally jarring to go and do what you want to do to feel like you're jumping the queue to breaking in line and that kind of thing and so these things are deeply conditioned culturally um, so it often feels like someone else needs to give us the okay before um, we can take that action, whatever that action is. Or worse, it feels like someone, someone else is waiting to criticise and condemn us if we do take that action. Um, you know, we might think of these as the injunctions of the superego, our inner compass of unrealistic expectations in service of a non-existent imagined judge that we've developed um, as a kind of uh, a critic within. So at that basic level, it can take some untangling really to get through that voice. But then there are also other factors. And I think this is especially true for highly sensitive people who naturally pause before taking action. You know, if you need time to stop and to observe, to process the world and check for signals of safety and mitigate against the signs of danger and threat that you see around you, then you are likely going to take longer to put yourself into spaces that you might want to take up. And there are reasons why once you are finally ready, the opportunity might have passed um, or you might feel like you've been left behind or you might uh, be waiting for someone to invite you. But they, they've read your pause, um, that, that observant pause, as a reluctance or even a rejection, a decision not to do the thing uh, that you've, you've come to recognise you really want to do. Or they've chosen the people that were quick off the mark. You know, this idea of you snooze, you lose. Uh, have you ever had that, you know, somebody say, oh, don't worry, we're, we're all sorted now, we've got enough people. And that disappointment, that feeling of, oh, but, you know, I worked my way to that point where I'm now really ready and I've even got my heart set on this. Uh, I understand where this, um, where this decision fits for me. And so this is a, really an example of how the world isn't always conducive to sensitive rhythms and as a result, doesn't always get the best people in the right places as well. I think it, you know, it's a, it shows us how maybe the, the quickest to react, the fastest to plunge in, the risk takers, uh, they're the ones that get selected. And often they're probably not the best people to be uh, in those positions as well. Or there's, there is at least a lack of, uh, yeah, sensitive, more sensitive types in places where we need sensitive types. Uh, there might be a conscientious feeling that kicks in too, you know, not wanting to hold others back. This is something that came up when thinking about uh, physical needs and how maybe you might need extra support when doing what you want to do for whatever reason. It might feel like you're going to take more space than others, that you're going to need more help than others. You're going to take more, uh, more time and energy from others. So, you then try to switch off the desire, push it down to pretend, oh, you know, it's actually, that's not, that's not that important to me. Don't worry about it. Um, partly to cope with disappointment, partly to cope with that idea of um, actually, you know, facing up to the fact you're not going to do the thing you want to do. Partly to make other people's lives easier by not holding them back. You know, maybe that kind of people pleasing tendency is like, no, actually, I really, you know, I don't want to get in the way. I don't want to hold you back. I don't want to, you know, be a burden 
but really you're looking on wishing you could be with others doing what they're doing and there's a there's a sort of sweeping sadness at the fact that you're uh, kind of on the outside of it i remember as a kid you know my my mum was good at taking this position um and she took it as probably the person who looked on from the sidelines and convinced herself that she uh, maybe enjoyed enjoyed that role more and there certainly were things that she was happy not to do um but there were other things that you know she did want to do and it was really special when she joined us to do them um and i think it's you know it's remembering as as people where you have someone who maybe doesn't get involved in things uh, to remember that actually maybe they do want to and they want to be invited and um you know even if they say no every single time it's like actually there's something really nice about just the the possibility of inclusion the possibility of the invitation and I think that's something I've noticed again and again with different people whose um, people pleasing takes them out of the action because they don't want to take up space. They don't want to be a burden or uh, hold people back. It's, it's almost really, almost always really meaningful and special when you get to experience that thing with them. Um, and not to add an extra emotional burden, but I think it feels more caring and inspiring to see someone taking up space when they're uncertain about what might happen. Um, but they really want to get involved and they sort of take that brave step to to say yes and to join in uh, with you. I have a soft spot for imperfections and the clumsiness of things not going in the way that they're supposed to, quote unquote. And I know this is easy for me to say. You might be thinking, oh, you don't know my family and friends. Like they, they wouldn't want me getting involved. They would see me as a burden. They would see me as holding them back. Yeah, I know, but I wonder, <laughs> I wonder whether there is a part of them, uh, you know, how much of that is a story you're telling yourself? And also, is there a part of them that would love to be held back by you sometimes? It's at least worth asking. It might mean the world to both of you. Another context people are wary of taking up space in is conversations. What do I mean by taking up? space in conversation maybe talking too much being too intense these are some of the things that people are afraid of uh, coming across as plowing through the small talk going straight to the deep stuff uh you know oh sorry i'll shut up now i've been talking too much something i hear from a lot of people who i really want to hear more from (laughs) or that's enough about me let's hear about you let's talk about you um i imagine there are many reasons we might feel this um, this kind of, I don't know, the temptation to shut up or to say, All right, I'm taking up too much space uh, when we're talking to people. Perhaps you've grown up in an environment where actually deep talk doesn't happen. And uh, if you kind of try to share those things that are on your mind or the, the deeper aspects that you're thinking about um, around life, it just gets shut down. So it becomes a sort of protective mechanism to stop talking before the other person sort of goes into that, you know, checked out dazed look uh, and they drift off or sort of wander away. And it's like, oh, okay, right, I was talking. Uh, or like in a group, I don't know if you've ever had it. It's it's a horrible feeling when you're talk, talking in a group um, and then somebody else just starts talking and everybody's attention goes to them. And you're like, okay. Right. <laughs> I am that boring. That's fine. Um, or they, they might, like, I think one of the worst things is probably telling you to stop worrying about things like that. Oh, you don't need to be thinking those thoughts. Just 
be quiet. Like just, you know, go and put the TV on or whatever. Um, as if, as if you thinking the thoughts and sharing the thoughts are, you know, I don't know. It's like a, a sign of, of worry as opposed to a desire for connection, a desire to, to share that intensity and that passion or that, you know, just talk about these things that are meaningful to you. Um, and it can happen, can't it, when we get excited or passionate about something. You know, there's things you could talk about for hours on end. Um, and there are people who genuinely aren't interested, and that's probably fine. And it's useful to know, uh, to get a sense of like, okay, that is not someone that I am going to talk to uh, about this thing because they aren't interested and they also aren't interesting in relation to it. So that's fine. Um, but then there are people who are. And that's one of the beautiful things about connecting with kindred spirits. Um, you know, I have people in my life who like the, we just get right to it, like almost immediately. And it's just one of my favorite things. Um, and especially if that conversation has this a kind of bounce to it and you're firing off one another, you've got some back and forth going and you're kind of creating something within the conversation, you're not just talking at each other. It's like something is happening, something's stirring, something is being um, created through this um, enga- engagement, this encounter. Um, and there is a need, isn't there, for pause and to take a breath at times. So we might say, oh, so- sorry, I'll stop talking. I'm taking up too much space. And actually, that might be just something inside us saying, yeah, look, you need a breath. Gather your thoughts. Like we, we need to have a, just let's have a moment here. Um, and so that inner message might then take the shape, shape of uh, shut up, no one cares. But what the body is really saying is just like, pause for a moment let me stabilize let's work out what's going on let's manage our energy um and then we can um we can carry on but it always seems to or at least in my experience it often that is that inner critic again it takes the shape of um it's almost like the condemning critic judgmental voice um is is the one that's like yeah he listens to that he listens to me when i say it like this um, he definitely does stop talking when we put it like that. Um, and yes, I do. And I, <laughs> I also don't get back to talking again afterwards. So, it's, you know, it's a mixed, it's a mixed bag. Um, so yeah, it's good for us to find people, isn't it? That, that we can be our natural selves around places to unleash the intensity of our passion and chat about things that we care about without voice of judgment hanging over us. I mean, it's one of the reasons I love doing this podcast because, you know, I'm talking into your ears right now, uh, but I can't hear what you're saying back. So you could be completely, um, you know, having a go at me, but I can't hear it. Um, and it's a nice opportunity to, to just unleash and embrace the things that I love talking about. It's space to to just talk. Um, but like, I think it wouldn't be enough if I didn't have people to, uh, to actually feel listened to by in physical proximity as well, or at least, you know, as a, within a live engagement to some degree. Um, and the fear, I suppose the fear of saying something wrong or something that we don't mean or something that could be misunderstood or misconstrued might also be underlying that voice that says, you know, don't take up too much space here. The voice that says stop taking up space in the conversation. Uh, you know, there are probably different signs and signals that our nervous system might be aware of that actually causes us to warn off talking too much. Uh, you know, there might be certain people where it's like, yeah, you, this isn't, it's not safe. 
with this person to to divulge all of that um or yeah this is not the right environment to say that thing in that way or to talk without knowing what you're going to say um because it could yeah it could go it could go wrong it's one of the reasons like when i so when i have guests on the podcast i always say like if there is anything that you want to take out um that you feel afterwards that oh no i've said i shouldn't have said some said that or i shouldn't have said that in that way like that isn't quite what i meant like it that could easily be misconstrued absolutely fine to let me know and i'll take it out um because i want people to feel both safe to be able to say whatever it is that they say so they're not guarded when they're talking and that confidence that oh if i do say something ridiculous i it will get taken out um that's a really important confidence to have um and yeah also i I just think it's it's different from you'll notice that there there will be a lot of people who don't do that they'll be like if you say something as you're being recorded that um could be misconstrued or could be misunderstood or could be used as a as a bit of clickbait then they will want that they will want to leave that in because it's like hello we can we can go viral here. <laughs> I can set you up. It's not a very good long-term strategy for building trust with guests, but it's something that we see all the time. Um, and it's something that gets utilized. It's not only, I wish I hadn't said that. So can you take it out? It's, I wish I hadn't said that. I'm glad you said that because we're going to make that the most prominent part of our conversation. We're going to build the marketing and the promotion of this conversation around that thing that you wish you hadn't said. Um, so yeah, that's something to just bear in mind. <laughs> something to ask uh, if you if you're ever on a podcast, um, ask whether that like what sort of approach do they take to that kind of thing. Anyway, that's a, a little bit of a uh, a deviation down another road. So, uh, yeah, what was uh, yeah? Notice what your body is really saying when that voice is telling you to stop taking up space in the conversation. So, I mean, your body is probably expressing some kind of need. Uh, you know what is it that you do need is it just a pause a breath you know is it to stop altogether is it to check that the other person is is engaged you know maybe it's like can I just check that you know you're still we're still having a conversation here Um, and to find ways to check in without it feeling like a a rejection because you know most people are like yeah I'm trying to keep up I have that quite a lot. I'm trying to keep up. I just don't know what you're talking about. You've gone off. You've gone off on like some weird, um, some weird road of thought that I just can't, I can't keep hold of. I'm not sure where you are, but I'm enjoying listening to you. It's fine. Um, And I guess sometimes that might be what stops us from taking up that conversation space. You know, I don't want to say something vulnerable, go down a a line and, and the other person be like, Okay. Anyway, because <laughs> uh, that, that that feels quite well, very undermining, doesn't it? So it's establishing ways to listen with compassion and space. Um, and you know, as we've talked before uh, about, I, I think listening is a it's not it's not about responding, is it? It's not about you know those things like giving advice or uh, taking what they've said and sort of I don't know what doing something with it. It's just about. At its most basic level, it's about contributing to that shared space where the other person feels heard, feels free to be, um, and that kind of thing. And that, you know, that is 
that's it. Like that's the real foundation of, of listening. So the area as well of asking for help, this came up as part of the taking up space conversation. Um, you know, I think there's probably many reasons we might not be great at asking for help when we need it. If, if we are someone who struggles with that, uh, one of them is definitely a story that we tell ourselves about, you know, not wanting to be a burden, not wanting to impose uh, those kinds of things. Um, you know, you might think, oh, yeah, they don't want me to bother them or act. there are people who need more help than me. So I, you know, I just need to find a way to get on with this and um, free up the helpers to give the real needers the support, uh, whatever it might be. These stories that we tell ourselves about why um, why asking for help is, is a burden and we don't want to take up that space in people's uh, energy and time and focus. Uh, I wrote a blog post uh, a few years ago about some of the other reasons we might find it hard asking for help. I'll link to that in the show notes um, rather than sort of going through it here because it's not all relevant to this idea of taking up space. There are other things, other factors, I think, at work uh, when we um, are maybe reluctant to ask for help. Um, But a wonderful insight that came up in the recent forum uh, conversation around this idea of taking up space was this idea uh, that when we avoid asking for help, we actually engage in, in a kind of uh, deprivation, a, a scarcity, a c- contributing to something that makes that shrinks the world in some ways. So, um, yeah, one of the Haven members wrote that when when I don't ask for help, it deprives me of information and connection, and it deprives the potential helper from doing something they just might welcome. And so, this is really nice to remember really helpful to remember is asking for help can often be a blessing to the other person it creates um, space for a connection for a partnership it gives people a sense of purpose and contribution and it allows us to see things from a different perspective it frees us up to focus on what matters most and what we do best so rather than taking up space and burdening what if actually asking for help is kind of sharing space and a blessing this is a, a really hard one in a world that is overwhelmed by busyness. Um, you know, people's schedules are stretched. Yet maybe a lot of this busyness is, is just noise as we wait and look around for more meaningful uh, projects and endeavours to connect with. <laughs> maybe that's uh, a story we can tell ourselves. I don't know. You know. We're quick to let go of the frenetic, noisy stuff when something important emerges, aren't we? We can do it. Um, so maybe that's what we're doing. I don't know. And then finally... Um, the aspect of physical space, like literal physical space um, that we might feel bad about taking up, we might feel alienated from in some way. Um, I'm going to take a punt with this one because I'm not sure how many people experience it. And I'm uh, definitely not saying it's linked to um, high sensitivity. It may well just be a me thing. Um, I'd be interested to know if there's anything in, in what I say ne- next that you're like, yeah, I think I get that. Or whether you're like, no, that's that's you mate that's just you um so i think this is linked to my idea uh, or my relationship with the idea of home uh, which is something i'm exploring a, a lot at the moment um, around my new album i keep calling it a new album i've been re- writing <laughs> like producing it for two years now um but it's not yet out so my the album that i'm working on i'm exploring this idea of, of what home is and and my relationship with that as a concept as an idea um, and I think there are two sides to this for me. Um, you know, I can feel at home anywhere really quite quickly. 
Uh, it doesn't take me long to settle into a new environment and kind of see it and experience it through quite a homey, um, homely, homey lens. Um, which I know is not, that's something that um, maybe is, is quite unique. I don't know. Um, it's something I know a lot of highly sensitive people I've spoken to don't really feel. Um, but I can also feel alienated from that sort of feeling of home very rapidly as well. Um, so it, it can sort of, I can go from feeling comfortable and safe and at home to feeling like a trespasser <laughs> quite quickly. Um, and it might fluctuate um, at times. And I had a, yeah, a few weeks ago, I was I kind of had a, an experience that really put this to the front of my mind. I was, I was walking in a, a big local park near to where, to where I live been there many times um, I was doing some recordings um, like took my um, audio recorder out did with doing some soundscape um, capturing having a great time feeling really at home feeling very comfortable feeling like it's just nice I was saying hello to people you know a few people that I encountered on on route lots of people walking their dogs it's like hi morning um, some were friendlier than others but then I said good morning to to one guy that I we were walking kind of in opposite directions so we walked past um he was walking a an old i think it was a golden retriever kind of quite old looking dog um said morning he didn't say anything back i mean he might have had headphones on or something um so i didn't really think much of it and then turned around um i think i was just sort of you know enjoying my surroundings and the environment i was taking a stroll in so i was sort of turned around and realized he was looking in my direction this kind of i don't know about 20 meters after so yeah probably about 15 20 seconds uh, after i'd originally been ignored with my hello um and realized he was looking in my direction um potentially because his dog was slow and his dog was still sort of um yeah about halfway between us but then he just shouted what are you looking at <laughs> and i was like like I can't be sure, but I'm pretty positive it was aimed at me. Um, there was, you know, this, a tone to it that felt like human to human communication rather than human to dog. Because I'm not sure. Is it that helpful to say that to a dog? I said, oh, I'm just looking up these daisies. Um, but yeah, it's, it completely threw me. And I was confused because it was like totally out of the blue and incongruent with the situation. It was like, that. where has that come from? What What's going on here? Um, so I just was like, okay, I'll just carry on walking. So I turned around and just carried on walking, hoping that I wasn't going to get pursued. Um, but it put me completely ill at ease for the rest of my walk. Um, and the reason that this is relevant is because it, I, I noticed this feeling within me that rose up, which was, I am a trespasser on his land. I don't belong here. Um, he has looked at me, sensed an outsider and he wants me gone. Obviously, that was a false story. I was, you know, this was public land. This was nothing to do with uh, with him. He didn't own this place. Uh, everyone is welcome. Um, and I sort of I attempted to counter that story quite successfully to some degree with compassionate alternative narratives. Um, you know, oh, maybe he's maybe he's on high alert. You know, everything is seeing everything through the lens of threat. He, like he's really on edge because he's had some bad news. Uh, maybe life really sucks for him right now so he's yeah just on he's on the brink um 
highly possible that 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 is the case that was the case um maybe he's out walking his partner's dog and he's grieving their loss or you know they're in hospital or suffering with illness or something um and he's just you know in a state with that and just wants to be left alone i don't know um and so those stories did help me kind of reconcile that moment within my mind to some degree but it didn't help give me a sense of belonging in that environment it didn't kind of recover that um that part and i yeah i guess i couldn't shake the feeling that i was taking up space in someone else's world who didn't want me there um and i could feel myself kind of shrink the my confidence was like my focus was gone. Like I wasn't that interested in spending ages take, uh, recording these, um, these audio clips anymore. Um, and so I think, yeah, my, my nervous system began to kind of pump the message around my body that you're in the way, come on, get this done as fast as you can. Let's get out of here. Like let's get out of the way of people. We don't want to be bothering people. Come on. Um, but just like the mustache, <laughs> I decided to, to play with this and to, to be like, okay, no, let's not, let's not sort of give in to that um, right now because I don't think that's actually, I know there isn't, well, maybe there maybe there was a, a real threat, but I got the sense that no, it's just, that's a moment rather than something that I need to worry about any further. Um, so I decided, I, I decided to, to go slower um, and right, I'm going to stay here longer than I had previous, previously planned as well. Um, and I said hello with a more pronounced smile to people that I encountered en route. And to be honest, while I did still still feel that sort of that lingering, and I, I don't know what the feeling is when you encounter somebody else's hostility and that sort of like just is transferred to you um, and, and it kind of sits with you in a weird way. Um, and while I still had that, I was still holding that, I also felt more connected as well because of the you know I was connecting with people as I as I went I had slowed down um I had managed to move back through from that kind of stress response of uh shutting down really checking out of the situation um and into a more intentional mode of action as I intentionally connected with people that I saw um in a large part down to the fact I'd been reading um anchored Deb Dana's book that morning so this was all kind of fresh in my mind and and she writes about moving through those states of connection and protection um you know the polyvagal theory um going through the nervous system um and she'd even mentioned this idea that when we're in a sympathetic response mode uh, in fight or flight everything around us you know is construed as a threat and i was remembering this like oh yeah so if you're if you're in like massively in kind of sympathetic mobilized stress response you see the world as everything as a threat. And so that was a helpful reminder as I thought about the, the guy with the dog. Um, and it's like, oh yeah, it's nothing personal. He's maybe just seeing the world through this stress response. What are you looking at is a reflection of this insecurity. Actually, it's he who feels alienated from this environment. He feels like he doesn't belong in some way. And he's converted that energy into aggression into fight and it kind of reminded me of you know growing up kids at school saying that same thing what are you staring at people starting fights because maybe their nervous system is is really all over the place they've lost control of it 
it's telling them a story about the world around them. It's saying everything is a threat that you've got to confront. You've got to fight it. These are the things um, that we kind of learn, the patterns of protection that we learn to um, to go to when we're feeling feeling that sense of insecurity, feeling that sense of threat. Um, and I don't know why I found this a comforting thought, not comforting in the sense of like, yeah, full of the joy at the idea that the full, the world's full of people starting fights with strangers because they're un- unable to control themselves and sort of understand what's going on in their nervous system. But comforting because I could sense an opportunity to shift the story I was telling myself. It gave me that chance to to really put space around those things and to notice, okay, what's going on within me? What are the what is that sort of urge? What is that kind of the the story telling me to go and do and how can i work with that to get me get me back to um a place of connection a place of um of feeling um safe within me and so yeah we're reading anchored at the moment in the haven throughout our autumn season um, as i as i'm recording this obviously if this is massively far in the future then we're not reading it at the moment um but we're reading it for a while so the end of uh, 2023 we're reading it um, through our autumn season september october november december um so if any of this kind of resonates if this is stuff you want to explore um more deeply and um maybe yeah kind of explore some creative ways we're going to be uh, using a lot of creative prompts and um and ideas, reflective things to to help sort of raise that awareness and and begin to reshape the story that we're telling ourselves about the space that we're taking up and about our um, uh, like position within that, our relationship with taking up space. Um, if you're interested in checking out the conversations as well that we're having in the community around topics like this and others, um, then. I think you'll love it in, in the Haven. Just come to the-haven.co, uh, the-haven.co. Uh, you get a first week for free so that you can get a sense of whether or not it feels like a good fit for your needs right now. Um, and yeah, I think you can pick that up. Uh, and if it doesn't, you can cancel and no problem at all. Um, so yeah, I, I, yeah, I hope that kind of is resonant in some way if there's, anything in what i've said that you're like oh yeah i'd love to know more about this or if you've got any follow-up questions or reflections related to what i've been talking about drop a message through my website andymort.com or get in touch via social media um you know i i imagine there are many more nooks and crannies to explore around this theme and i think it's um there's a lot of interesting places to go uh with it and and offshoots of it so uh, yeah, I'd love to to know what you um, what you're taking away from this, and I'll be back again next time with another episode of the Gentle Rebel Podcast. Until then, remember that you are an artist. The world needs your art. Now go and make somebody's day, because you never know they might have just been randomly shouted at by an angry man with a dog. Uh, all right, take care. Bye bye.